You know, you think about that night in Bethlehem. I don't know how silent it was. When you think about the census was going on, all the hotels, all the motels, all the Motel 6s were all full. And uh, I think there probably was quite the buzz around the town. It was, I don't think it was a silent night. I think it was a holy night uh, for certain. There's no doubt about that. We come to this Christmas season. It is, uh, it's wonderful to come back and, and uh, to revisit these old um, traditional songs and to think about the traditional story of Christmas and to, to try it as a pastor to retell the same story that you've heard since childhood, afresh and anew, uh, creates a challenge for sure. But one of the things that I think if we can parallel the two as we have been and understanding the gift relation and the gifts that we exchange at Christmas time with the gift of Christmas, then I think we can find a, maybe a, some fresh eyes for it. I don't know about for you, but I think we all at some point in our life, maybe it's every year from a particular family member, I don't know, when you open that gift and you ask the question, what were they thinking? Have you ever got one of those gifts? Raise your hand. What were they thinking? Thank you. All right, good. You get one of those gifts and you think, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for that size. I didn't ask for that color. I didn't even ask for that genre of gift. You know, where did that come from? What were they thinking? Maybe it becomes the, the gag gift at next year's office party. Maybe it, maybe it becomes the regifting item that you do uh, in, in the coming years. I don't know. But it's that, or maybe it's immediately in the stack that goes back the day after Christmas. But you get those gifts every now and then. You go, what were they thinking? And then I can think about uh, a gift that Lori gave me one time, a shovel for Christmas. She gave me a shovel, all right? Um, the thing is, is that shovel today is actually in my office at home hanging on the wall. That shovel means something to me. Now, again, to the common Joe who would get a shovel given to them at Christmas time, they probably would get pretty upset with that, all right? Because that's kind of a, a rip-off, what were they thinking kind of gift. But this, this gift has meaning. This was a gift that kind of ties back to Grace Point because our life just kind of evolves around this, around this fellowship. And it, evolved, it kind of matriculated from a, a, an event that took place at Grace Point in the March of that same year. And to this day, six years later, it's still hanging on my wall. I see it every day when I'm in my office studying. It's there. It reminds me of a God moment. It reminds me of a God moment when a couple of hundred people had this great big vision of building a, a, a campus that would reach the world, that would be a part of this. And we, we, we had this groundbreaking ceremony. Everybody got shovels at that ceremony. And everybody put theirs in the garage and have used them in the backyard. But Lori kept ours to the side. And I, I, I don't like digging in the yard, so I just let her keep it to the side. And then all of a sudden, it was wrapped up and given to me on a plaque for Christmas. That shovel, to any other common Joe, would think, what were they thinking? To me, it has significance. It points back to a time when God began to do something, as he was already doing something, but he began to do something at Grace Point that was going to be monumental. And today we're living in another epic period of our church. And what will it be? I don't know. What will, what will we have to symbolize that? And did I realize, did I think that that shovel would mean so much to me here now five years later? What is a, what's the message behind the gift? 
What's the meaning behind the gift? Gifts that you give hopefully have meaning. We've talked about them having cost and, and value associated. And typically the value associated connects somehow to the person that you're giving it to. We've talked about that, that gift that fits and how Christ is that perfect gift that fits us. But I want to talk today about the meaningful elements of a gift and how Jesus Christ is extremely meaningful, appropriately given to us by God. But you again, think about the meaning of gifts. Typically when somebody gives you a gift that you really love and they've really thought it through and that you love them and there's this relationship and this meaningful gift comes your way, it's saying something about you and it's a message to you. It's saying something about who you are. It's saying something about who the relationship is. It's saying something to you. It's, it's, it's speaking something. It's saying something if it is a meaningful gift. If you give your wife a cookbook for Christmas, what's the meaning in the message? What are you trying to say? Probably not the message that she wants to hear, okay? So think about it. When you give a gift, I don't care how practical it is, what is it saying to them? What is it saying about them, all right? So think about that, all right? So if you're thinking about the meaning of a gift, What is it saying about them? What is it saying to them? If you give your wife a diamond ring and you take that little diamond ring and you package it up just right and you write this card and maybe you've been married for 15, 20 years or something like that and you write this card that you are like a precious gem in my life and you grow in value every day that I'm with you. Is that a thumbs up appropriate gift, ladies? Maybe, okay. Okay, thumbs up on that one. So you'll take that kind of message. Now, will you take a cookbook message uh, for Christmas? Thumbs down. Okay, good. I think I, I was on the right track there. So I think what we have to realize, when we give gifts, what are they saying about me or about them? What are they saying to them? Because messages, the gifts that we carry, the gifts that we give, there's a message and it has a meaning to that message. Take your Bibles and be looking at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be. And uh, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We actually sang some songs today that kind of, that originated from this text. Probably one of the more popular Christmas stories to be read. But it's a beautiful story in that we see heaven and earth coming together. We see mystic and we see we see the spiritual interacting with the physical. We see, we, see t- we see space and we see time coming together. We see the angelic and mankind coming together. All centered around this baby that's born. Now there's one thing that is very popular in our culture today. It's the study, it's the thought of angelology and the study of angels and the different thoughts on angels and the different messages by angels. I just want you to give you a filter in which if you think you're talking to angels, if if you think you have have friends that are telling you they're getting messages from angels, if if there's this big dialogue about angels, then please put this filter in front of it. Every time you see in Scripture the angels manifesting themselves, especially in the New Testament, they are pointing people to Jesus Christ. All right? That That is a litmus test. 
if the angelic encounters that people say they have are not pointing them to the Savior, if they're not pointing them to Jesus, then I really question, is that the angel you want to be listening to? Because you realize that there's the angel of light and there's the angel of darkness. And Satan poses as an angel of light. So just beware. Have some kind of filter in your life that you're listening if you're listening to angels or you're looking for angels or you're studying about angels. Then please, are they pointing people to Jesus? Because if you look in the New Testament, that is clearly the message that they bring. And so in chapter 2, verse 8, it, it begins re- begin reading, follow along as I read. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, of, of the Lord, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now stop there for just a moment. Now who's there? What's there? We got some. We got some shepherd guys. We don't know who. We don't know how many. We don't know what. But we do know this about shepherds. From the first century, shepherds were nomadic people. Shepherds were actually a social underclass, if you will. They were not considered the high class. They were not even considered middle class. They were definitely below the lower class. In fact, many of them, according to one commentary, Leonard uh, uh, Steen's commentary that I read this week, said that they were actually many times criminals, thieves, and the only job that they could get would be to watch after somebody's sheep or steal somebody else's sheep. So this is probably not exactly the upper crust of society. And all of a sudden, an angel, and again, that's going to be important in a few moments, an angel appears, and the glory shines up on this place, and it transforms this moment for them as they're caught up and awakened wherever, whatever's going on at this time. And then it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, why were they filled with fear? Again, a lot of reasons. If I'm on the side of a hill watching little sheep that baa, and all of a sudden in the heavens, an angel appears and lights up the sky, there's, that's, a, that's an experience that can create a, an emotion of fear. But here's also, again, that under crust of the underbelly of society out there, and they're living in fear. They're wondering when they're going to be caught in the next criminal act. And he says, no, 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 don't fear. I bring you good news. So he could be bringing him bad news that God's come to judge you, but that wasn't the case in this, in this story. I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. And you will find a babe wrapped in clothes, swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. All of a sudden went from one to a multitude, to too many to be counted. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among among, uh, those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, when the angel went away from them, Into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. We come to this story today, again, so familiar. How can we look at it with fresh eyes? 
I want us to look for the meaningful, the valuable, the gift of Christmas. The message that, the, that, that Christ's coming brings to you and I. Spoken by an angel. Declared by an angel. Responded to by a multitude of angels. Affirmed by a multitude of angels. What is the message that is from, again, the heavenlies to the manlies, from the mystics to the physical, what is the message that whenever you bring all of heaven and all of earth together, what is the message that we need to hear? And the message that we need to understand and embrace. And I think from this passage, there's at least three meaningful messages of the Christ and what He brings to mankind for us today. One, I want you to jot it down, is Christ gives us substance for life. He gives us substance. The good stuff, the heavy, the weighty stuff. We live in search of substance. We seek it out in functional relationships throughout our lifetime. We look for substantive relationships. We look for prosperous careers. We want a career that has substance with it, that has a future, that has an upside. We want an education that will give us a competitive advantage in life. We want a substantive education. We want to know how well it will prepare us for the marketplace. We are constantly in pursuit of substance. Something with value, dense, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot to it. And I'm afraid that some of us live a lot like Forrest Gump when it comes to life. You remember one of his great statements, one of my favorite all-time movies is Forrest Gump. Whenever he said, life is like a what? Man, all right, you've all seen it too. Life is like a box of chocolates you never, that's right, you just never know. It's just going to be what it is. And for the longest time growing up, I really thought, even before Forrest Gump said that, I could absolutely affirm and agree with that. In fact, my grandmother would always have those box of chocolates, all right? And I would go in there and I would just look at it because I can't stand the covered cherries, the syrupy cherries, whatever stuff. And I don't like the coconutty kind of whatever white gunk that goes inside. I want the chocolate. I want chocolate in my chocolate, chocolate with my chocolate. And and then if it's not chocolate, I'll settle for caramel and I want a nut or two in there, all right? So I would look at this box. I would imagine, now where is the nut? Where is the chocolate? How many of y'all did that same thing? Thank you, all right. So you are looking for, you are striving for a substance that you like, that you want. And it wasn't until, I I had to be a young adult, I don't know, and I'm still a young adult, right? Uh, I had to be, just a few years ago, uh, I I had to look and I noticed that you could literally go to the store and pick out what kind of fillings you wanted in your box of chocolate. Have you noticed that? You don't have to go randomly through life. You don't have to live like Forrest Gump and just pick and wonder and randomly choose and just be dealt with what's what's given to you. You can pick. If you just want chocolate in your chocolate, then you can pick that. If you want cherries in your chocolate, then you can pick that. And so I began to realize something. I can choose my chocolates. I can choose my box of chocolates. So I wonder today, if you are looking for as I'm looking for, if you're wanting as I am wanting, career, relationships, life, I want a life of substance. Then why don't I choose a box of chocolates that actually promises, 
that actually gives me, that actually gives me the substance in life that I should want? Is it really an option out there? Can I go to this world called life and can I say, I want to choose life of substance? I absolutely believe you can. I think you can belong before Jesus. I think you could long before David. I think you could all the way back to Moses, and I absolutely believe you could back to Adam and Eve. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Moses said this, I call heaven and earth, God speaking here, to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, what? Choose life that you and your offspring may live. If life is a box of chocolates, if, if, if I can actually go into my world, go into my life, and I can actually have a choice and choose a path of substance, then let's do that. And again, you go back to, what did Jesus say? What did the angel say, excuse me, on that night? We bring you good news of great joy. Of great joy. What is the substance of the chocolate of life that, that, that God is offering up to us, that, that our Savior Jesus is giving to us? The substance, the filling of life is called joy. You'll not find it in any other box of chocolates. You'll not find it in a pill. You'll not find it in a relationship. There's something about this ingredient of life that I absolutely, with all my heart, believe you will only find Fully and completely, fully and completely, operative phrase there, completely in Christ. You can find happiness in a lot of other sources. You can find momentary satisfaction in some sources. But you will not find substantive, joy-filled life unless you choose in Christ. That's my presupposition. I'm sticking to it. It's what the angel said. I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Here's the good news. Here's great joy. Here's the great news. This is joy. You want to know where joy is? Find this babe wrapped in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Find him. Follow him. Worship him. Go with him. Now, again, I think in this world we could probably think of a lot of different ways that we could pursue joy pursues substantive joy in our life. Think about it. I think a lot of people in this world choose it, try it, seek it through money and fame. Whatever, whatever money, fame that they can, they can get. But I, 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 I propose to you today that money and fame does not offer you substantive joy. Andrew Carnegie said it like this, and I think it's a pretty bold statement. He said, very few millionaires laugh. They, just, they don't have joy. Again, I, I'm, I'm saying this, but don't, don't associate laughter as if somebody's laughing that they have joy. But I'll tell you this, if you have joy, you will have laughter. There will be a, there will be a spirit about you that will be contagious that other people will want to be around you. But I will have to say this, that I think joy comes with that. But if I'm going to find it in the next dollar bill, the next promotion, the next opportunity, the next million or the next thousand or the next toy, I'm not going to find it. Not going to be there. If I try to find it in health, I won't find it in health. And it's all about good health, eating right, exercising. I'm, I'm there, baby. I'm there. I'm all about that. I can tell my life is much better and greater substance just by getting in shape. There's absolutely it. But getting in shape is not going to give me the substantive joy of life. Paul himself said, 
it's gain if I die. So there's something that there's some paradigm shift, there's some worldview that Paul had that said I could literally live and it would be for Christ, or I can die and I'm better off. So how is that? Joy must be tied to some longevity of life and perspective out there. Relationships. They don't promise joy. Now, again, life is lonely without them. But I I need to have something more than a relationship. Relationships are a good beginning point. Relationships, you know, uh, help me through life. Relationships challenge me whenever I'm getting off course. Relationships can do a lot. But how many of y'all, listen to this, have been hurt in a relationship? There's nothing like being hurt by someone you trust and love. There's nothing like trust being broken. There's nothing like the one that you depended everything upon stabbing you in the back. Relationships, they're great when they're great, but man, can they ever destroy us and break us down. So again, we're looking for something, this joy, this substantive element that's going to go throughout, that's going to be highly compact, very full, very fulfilling. How do I find it? Maybe it is that I just go through life and life gives it to me over time. I want to say that life doesn't even give you joy. That just going through life is not enough. I read this just last night. A study was done that children laugh about 400 times every day, while adults average about 15 times a day. It seems like the older we get, the less we enjoy life. I say all this just to to bring us back. What are we feeling? What are we biting into? What are we consuming that is trying to give us joy? When the angels of heaven come to earth, the one message that they have, find Jesus and you'll find good news of great joy. Corey Timboom was a prisoner of war during, during Nazi concentration camps. And she said like this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I think a person who's gone through what she's gone through speaks tremendous wisdom. Do you, can you look at, listen, can you look inside your own soul today and say, I have rest. I have joy. I have substance. I have something that will complete me. I absolutely believe that that is what Christ brings to the table. He gives us substance. The second message of Christmas And you may think, Mike, you you really weaseled this one in there. Absolutely not. And that is this, is that Christ gives us mission for living. He gives me a reason to get out of bed. He gives you a reason to get out of bed. If you look there at that passage, the same declaration from the single Terry angel, what did he say? He said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for." All the people. The Greek word here is laos. It's one of Luke's favorite words. It's 141 times in the New Testament. 84 times Luke is using it. A kissing cousin to this one word is is, is is the Greek word ethne. It's the idea of all the peoples of all the world. That 
that, that really this message, the, this Christmas story, is not just a story for us to consume in America. It's for us to come together on Christmas Eve night and have a warm, fuzzy candlelight experience or on Christmas morning in our fuzzy pajamas or, or something like that to come into this room and to celebrate it as one church family. We need to understand that the message of Christ, the message of Christmas, is a message that should spur us, should drive us, should motivate us to understand that this is not for us alone. This is a message for the world. It's a message for my neighbors. It's a message for the the 300 and something Hindu families that live in northwest Arkansas. It's a message for all the world, and I must be a carrier of that message. I cannot miss that gift-giving opportunity. And if I'm going to give something meaningful at Christmas time, I need to think about how can I give the message of Christmas away. The Think a Chance, who will be in our second service, will be commissioned to go uh, this, this week. They're going to be going to Bolivia and be working among 60 orphan children and just loving on them. This is the second Christmas or the third Christmas that they've spent down there. And they're spending their Christmas giving Christ away. Again, I, I just want us to understand that it's not, again, the consumeristic Christmas that we have made it into being. It is so much more. It is a call to the world. It is a call to our neighbors. It's a call to our family. It's a call to all the peoples, the message that we hold. The call that's been rung throughout the, the Scriptures. In Psalm 86, verse 9, it says, All the nations thou hast made shall come and bow before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. Genesis 12, 3, to Abraham, he said, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. All the families. And I shall give thee the nations as thy inheritance. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Psalm 22, verse 27. He says that the families of the nations, uh, of the nations will worship before thee. This is a call to the nations. And the ends of the world shall remember to turn to the Lord. In Psalm 66, verse 4, it says, The earth shall worship thee, and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. This is a call that has been going out for years and years and years before Christ was ever born, that there is a message that is to get to the ends of the earth. Genesis 49, verse 10 says, to him shall be the obedience of all the people. Psalm, or Matthew 24, verse 14. This is a prophetic verse to us today. That the ends of the earth must hear the gospel. The ends of the earth. All the nations, all the ethne, all the peoples of the earth must hear the gospel. So where are we going? What are we doing? Think about the nations. What peoples in the nations, what ethnic groups need to experience, what ethnic groups need to experience the message of Christ? It's for all the peoples. There are 6,929 unreached, unreached people groups in this world. Let's just pick one. What if your family, here's a Christmas idea, you want your family to start thinking the way the way the Christmas story goes, take your family and say, this year for Christmas, we're going to pick an unreached people group. And for the next year, we're going to pray for them. For next year, for this entire next year, we're going to learn about them, we're going to study about them, and who knows, maybe we'll even look for a fam- an opportunity to go to them in 2012. 
just an idea, where we start taking on this calling to the nations. We sent out our, our first family this year, and you support them through your, through your weekly ministry gifts. Troy Sheree Hall. They're in a little island nation in the South Central Asia. And in that nation, it's one of the m- most dangerous places to be a Christian, but yet they're raising their family and they're living there. What about your neighborhood? Anybody in your neighborhood that doesn't know Christ, that needs to experience the message of Christmas? I mean, what about, what about Christmas Eve? You've got a license, if you will, at Christmas time to be religious, okay? What if, over the next couple of weeks, you literally intentionally got into relationship with those neighbors that you've been talking over the fence with, talking about football, talking about all this other stuff? What if you intentionally brought into the relationship, hey, our church is having a Christmas Eve gathering, won't you come? Or Christmas Sun, uh, a Christmas Sunday gathering, won't you come? I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not that, maybe it's something else. But start the conversation. How do you do that? I don't know how to do that. There's four words. Investing. Start investing your life. Introducing, start introducing your God story into into the conversation. It can be half sentences. It can be one sentence. It can be paragraphs of just what God's doing in your life. Then inviting, bringing them, finding that this is a safe environment, and all the time interceding. Those four words are words I use regularly thinking about, am I investing, am I introducing, am I inviting, am I interceding? Also think about this. Not only who's in my neighborhood, who in the world needs to know this message, but who in my family? I, aren't we all going to be with family this, hopefully, some time during the holidays? And in that family encounter, maybe in that family encounter, you know of three or four cousins. Or maybe you have an Uncle Larry, and he needs to know Christ. Maybe you're just going to have that opportunity this season as you think about it and you move towards it. I just encourage you to be praying it through, thinking it through. This is what this is what we envision for the future. This is what we want to be about as we take this clear and compelling message to the world. Clear and compelling. Look at verse 11. How clear and compelling is this? So here's the angels, and here they are, and they said, this is good news of great joy for all the people, for unto you, you, you and you and you and your Uncle Larry and and, and everyone else, that's a you in this world, unto you is born this day in the city of David. So not only did he say who he's born for, you and you and you and you and you and the yous that you don't even see here today. But he tells him where to find him. He's in the city of David. Now how many times do we carry inside of ourselves the message of Christ, the message of Christmas, but we don't let people know where to find it? It's like a buried treasure. It's like a wrapped gift that we won't unwrap for them. He's in the city of David. Go find him. And who is he? He's a Savior. Now these underlife, low-belly shepherd boys on the side of a hill, they needed a Savior. But you know who else needed a Savior? Three very intellectual, three, four, five, I don't know how many, intellectually, chow, intellectually gifted astronomers, 
kings from the east also needed a Savior. The Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. He's the anointed one that you've been looking for. Go and find him. That's the message that we have. We know who he is. We know who he's for. We know where he's at. Let's get this message to our friends, to our family, to the unreached peoples of the world. A poem has disturbed me ever since I was in college when I first heard it. I want to share it with you today. My friend, I stand in judgment and feel that you're the blame somehow. This is a friend speaking back to another friend. On earth I walked with you day by day, and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim, and you could have led me safe to Him. Though we lived together on the earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned, because you failed to mention Him. You taught me many things. It's true I called you friend and trusted you. But I learn now that it is too late. You could have saved me from his fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live in love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to this end, I cannot now call you my friend. I hope that's not said of us. Because our neighbors and our friends and our families and the unreached peoples of this world didn't hear a message that was given for us, for the world. The Christmas message gives us a reason to live. It gives us substance for life. But number three, Christ gives us a person to worship. Now that may not be that big of a deal for you, but it gives us a person to worship and that's important in the whole scheme of things. Because I'm convinced that in this world we are constantly in search of God. Sometimes we make ourselves to be God. Sometimes we try to make others God. Sometimes we, 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 we try to find God in many different religions. And sometimes we think there isn't any one true religion. And there are many ways to God's and there are many expressions of God. But I think what we find in the message of the angels, to you and to me, and to all the world today, is that we have a Savior in Christ. As the angel, the angel was standing there, and he was sharing, and he was telling, and he was proclaiming who Christ was. All of a sudden, listen to this, an uncontainable, unrestrainable worship. All the other angels jumped in. It was like a multitude. It's like we, we've listened to you long enough. We can't hold it back. And suddenly there was a multitude, and suddenly with the angel, and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those whom he is pleased. See, the beauty of the message of Christ is it gives you substance for life. It gives you a mission to live. But it also gives you a God to worship. It gives you an intimate, personal relationship with a holy, loving God. And we get to, as the angels do, we get to break into song and we get to worship Him. So I hope as you look at your life today and you think about this passage, I hope you'll ask yourself this question. How constrained and how restrained is my worship? Do I come in and just consume worship? Or do I come in and bring worship? 
Do I come in with the angels and I, I can't keep it back any longer? I've got to let loose. There may be one speaker, but I've got, to, I've got to speak. I've got to declare. I've got to make it known. And I hope that that is your experience this Christmas. 